Welcome to Utopian Horizons. Hello and welcome to Utopian Horizons, a podcast where I cover a different utopia, dystopia, utopian thinker or movement in each episode. This episode is going to be a solo one. Um, If you don't already know, I started a while ago working my way through um, a collection of essays in a book called Economic Science Fictions. And I'm alternating that between this feed and my Patreon feed. So I covered chapter one on, on this feed, on the main feed. Chapter two, which is called Future Incorporated and is about... Um, kind of the, the the power of the idea that corporations control our future um, has and the, the potential problems with that. And now I'm on chapter three. So we're going to be talking today about a chapter called Currencies of Social Organization, the Future of Money. This chapter is written by Cheryl Vint and it starts off talking about Ubik, which um, makes me happy as a, as a Philip K. Dick fan. By the way, um, if you were thinking that maybe I've, I've sort of abandoned the Philip K. Dick run through that I've kind of been periodically doing on this podcast, I have not. And I do intend to return to another Philip K. Dick book soon. It's just been like, yeah, catching up with with um, episodes I've had planned and stuff. I, I just haven't got to it. Um, all being well, I should, if all goes to plan, I should be recording two or possibly three episodes during March so yeah maybe after that I'll have some time to start reading Philip K. Dick again and and get back to that but anyway so um, she starts off talking about Ubik and she's talking about like the different kinds of currencies that have been imagined in future worlds and and one of the examples of this is poscreds um, from Ubik And, and I think actually Philip K. Dick uses poscreds quite a lot of his uh, novels as a name for money but anyway um, she talks about how these are required for every minute transaction so that a door becomes not an item you own but a provider of services you must continually pay um, this is in reference to a scene in Ubik where the protagonist Joe Chip is trying to leave his apartment but um, the door basically won't let him until he pays and he doesn't have any money left so he kind of gets into an argument with his door about getting out i feel this this scene captures a lot about the kind of contemporary reality we're in in terms of the internet of things and the way um capitalists are finding various ways of charging us rent on on different things um feels like a very nice example a very very nice way of bringing to for the kind of present we're looking at and then the direction things are going in anyway vint then talks about gold press latinum from star trek which is used by ferengi this is the only thing that cannot be replicated in a post-scarcity world and is useless other than as an avatistic marker of wealth 
She talks about the reputation-based currency of Wafi in Cory Doctorow's Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom, which is used to replace the social role that money plays. Again, another post-scarcity world. So she, she says what we have here, um, we have science fiction writers have an inventiveness when creating objects or systems of account that might serve as money. So what she says here is, is that this inventiveness that science fiction writers have when creating objects or systems of accounts that might serve as money is matched by the actual history of money. So she mentions the large stone wheels used uh, as currency on the island of Yap, the split tally sticks used in medieval England, the idea of the gold standard as, as a real value of money, to slips of paper that we use as money, and, and now electronic signals. So she's, she's kind of suggesting this is quite um, strange and varied uh, way of thinking about money and how money manifests that kind of is, is as strange as what you find in science fiction. Um, she says most of the world uses money daily and has done for the whole of, of human civilization. But what's interesting is that it's not, nevertheless, it's not really clear what money is. There's all these different complicated relationships between the underlying thing of actual value, um, the tokens that we use to represent it. So coins or notes or whatever, these are effectively tokens that represent something, the the underlying thing of actual value that she talks about. And I guess you could think of that in different ways. You could say the tokens represent labor, like labor that you've invested and you've acquired the tokens and that's what what you're investing in. Um, And then finally, the entity that guarantees um, the the value and and the tokens, the that the system works basically. So the government, um, the the police, or the and the army. Ultimately, I suppose um, if you're if you're going right right to the to the end of it, but the, the government guarantees that that this uh, money system will function. Um, and she says that reading about money is like reading science fiction. Again, emphasising that previous point. And again, I guess this is already sort of tying in with some of the stuff we talked about in the other chapters where. It's um, already suggesting, if not outright saying, that money is inherently fictional uh, in some sense. So when we talk about money as electronic signals, you have a number in your bank account and then you pay somebody and the number goes down and the number goes up somewhere else. I mean, that's nothing. That's just a, a, a number in, in a system. It doesn't have any inherently value, but nevertheless, it functions as if it does. Um, this is how money works. She um, starts then talking about giving us like a definition of money. So she says, most definitions of money agree there need to be three things, uh, a medium medium of exchange, a unit of account, and a store of value. She says that the store of value part is something that tends to be overlooked in science fiction. Um, she says there's a confusion of whether, whether you're keeping score of of whether that means keeping score of who owes what or whether money is something of inherent value that will continue to be accepted in periods of massive social and political disruption. Um, But more importantly, she says, commentators agree that changes to this configuration of value, accounting, exchange practices and objects serving as money are deeply consequential for the surrounding social order. And this is kind of the crux of, of this essay the idea of the, 
this whole system of money is is has a profound impact on on society and is um an important thing to to think about she references a book called the history of money that makes the argument that new forms of money destroy old forms of governance premised on prior systems of economics there are a few examples mentioned in the essay but i'll just give you one and for brevity so banking and paper notes disrupted and undermined and disrupted and undermined the feudal system of medieval europe by opening a path for power based on wealth in other words stocks and bonds rather than land so the the money this new system of money was an inherent part of breaking down the old power that was based solely on land and offering a new path of, of power that helped shape the society in, in a massive way she says that science fiction has frequently imagined new objects or systems as currency but they've not worked through the cultural power of money as an engine of social control so i guess like some of the examples they've thought of poscreds and wafi and gold press latinum and all these other things but thinking through how changing um the way that money works and uh how it's a, a kind of um mode of power i guess is something that hasn't been done as much the reason she thinks this is important is because science fiction um uh, repeating an argument that's made in, in the other chapters in this book and an argument i've made on the podcast before so sorry to repeat it but we're going to anyway because it's part of the argument she's making here is that science fiction is um first of all about the present and that science fiction can have a, an estranging effect um on the present or like current systems of, of power or any system and she says that science fiction can estrange how money functions in our present if you're not familiar with the concept of estrangement um essentially what this means to boil it down is kind of to um one way of looking at it is to, to denaturalize so this could be you know anything from like thinking about capitalism and some aspects of it is like natural law and and kind of making us uh, come into contact with that as something that is in fact very unnatural and and see it as like a construction that is something that, that can be changed in some fundamental way so in other words like we have certain um assumptions about how money works as a society that we take for granted and science fiction ha has the ability to make us stop taking those things for granted and think about them critically um if you want to hear more about estrangement i actually did a whole episode on it uh, on the patreon feed so that's there um she then references a book called money the unauthorized biography which argues that instead of thinking about money as a unit of exchange or a store of value we should think of money as a social technology which I guess ties into the arguments um, she's making about um, how changes in the system of money have huge social consequences. A little bit of the essay after this bit kind of confused me a bit, so just because I'm not very good when it comes to, to thinking about the intricacies of how money works, but um, the argument is made nevertheless that it's important that debt can be important in the sense of understanding how money works that debt can be transferred to another creditor uh, it's a unit of account that can be transferred and mean exactly the same thing as if it were a physical property and not a measure of human interactions and decisions 
Because when it comes down to it, that's what money is. It's an attempt to, yeah, for example, if you think about labor, these are, this is a, a human interaction where you're doing something for somebody or making something and that's being sold in some way. These are all in some ways uh, human interactions and that has to be, that is made manifest in some way in money. But but we have the, t- the tendency to think of, of this value as like a, yeah, a set physical natural thing and not like a manifestation of um, human interactions and decisions. So basically this means that we view money as a thing instead of a social technology. Um, and the argument is that this dates to the Enlightenment and and the argument is made that this this uh, move of seeing money as a, as a thing that states the alignment is the first step towards the 2008 financial crisis um, where we where basically we, we treat money as a natural fact rather than social choice and we reduce questions of moral and political justice to a mechanical application of objective scientific truths. Um, and Vince says that science fiction can play a vital role in reminding us that money is a social technology and not a thing. She then starts talking about a film in time from 2009. I've not seen this film, so it's kind of difficult for me. Um, oh, no, I, I should say, I mean, the, the I think the argument she's making is clear, but um, yeah, I haven't seen the film. So that leaves me in the dark a little bit. But anyway, um, so this is a film in, in which the world um, is set in a world in which the unit of account is time. So you don't work for money, you work for time to live. And she says that this this move immediately makes clear how ridiculous the fiction that capitalists and workers meet kind of as equals on the market is. Um, capitalists can always wait a day to negotiate. Uh, workers cannot because they literally need the time to live. So they have to... So they're not in a position of, of power. They have to. Um, there, it's an uneven relationship. Um, she says it kind of shows the ridiculous of inf- inflation, where a, a cup of coffee costs more in time than the day before, and workers can only stretch their working day so far to accommodate this change, and they spend more and more time working. And of course, this ends up with like vulnerable people dying and so on. And the, the rich are effectively immortal in this system because they kind of own the systems that produce time. So they, they kind of have infinite time. Uh, yeah. And she says what this does is it directly links the ability to secure a wage to your chances to continue to exist, um, thereby laying bare an underlying logic of neoliberal capitalism that is otherwise obscured and precisely through the system of money as a thing here is money like as what it uh really is like these these um relationships and interactions and links between um people so this is the the kind of thing that she's suggesting that we need science fiction to do so let's start talking about david graeber's book debt the first 5,000 years uh, and he apparently suggests that we think of the social technology of money as a system of debt rather than one of credit and there's an argument there that debt is 
debt becoming transferable is kind of fundamental to creating a, a, a society of inequality. And the argument is made that debt can only become transferable when it becomes simple, cold and impersonal, when it's detached from any larger social context of mutual support. I guess the idea is that money is the thing that does this, that makes it simple and cold as impersonal, because it hides the social relationships and it hides the the pain and the suffering and the brutality of debt in a thing um again instead of like it being a, a social technology and we're not thinking of money as a, a social technology that we're using to do certain things and like thinking about how we could use it to do things in a, in a, in a different way it's just like a natural system of account that if there's a debt there it has to be paid and it it um doesn't show you like the realities that that are underneath that and Graeber links the kind of disappearance of of hope, the the kind of death of the utopian, the need to. This has been talked about by people like Frederick Jameson and and others, and uh, has led to people making the argument that we need a revival of utopianism. But he links this to the the crushing circumstances of chronic indebtedness. So kind of debt is is fundamental um, for him, and he talks a lot about debt forgiveness. Um, a kind of a, a thing called the Jubilee that used to exist where debt was forgiven every um, seven years or something. Oh, I can't remember actually. There was a couple of systems of debt forgiveness he talks about. One was called the Jubilee, one was saying else, I don't know which was which, but, but regardless, um, there's the, there, were, there have been traditions of debt forgiveness where whenever a segment of the population became so heavily indebted so as to debilitate its chance to thrive um then there was these these systems where where debt would be um forgiven and and yeah graeber gives examples of, of these kind of all these old examples of debt forgiveness and uh he's kind of making the argument for there to be a a, a new global like, jubilee now to to alleviate all debt which um he says would serve a few purposes it would first of all obviously alleviate a lot of human suffering it would remind us that money is not ineffable that paying debts is not the height of morality which is kind of an idea which is very much ingrained in what i guess you would call capitalist realism but like being in debt is kind of a mark of shame and a sign of like almost of being like subhuman and, and being like something you should feel guilty about and like the best thing you can do is like yeah pay your debts which of course is bullshit and finally that all these things um these these debts uh are human arrangements and democracy means that we have the ability to agree to arrange things in a different way so uh, again i guess we can link this back to the idea of money money is not a, a thing that exists with a, a physical property is a human arrangement and yeah we're supposed to live in a democracy which means we choose how we can arrange things and if it's a human arrangement then we can change it so uh, in this sense she says uh the the best science fiction idea may be one taken from the past in other words this idea of um, debt forgiveness she moves on to talk about Charles Stross's Neptune's Brood. Again, unfortunately, I haven't read this, so 
Yeah. And she says, this is one of the few science fiction books that considers monetary policy and banking. So this is, is useful um, for her. Um, it's kind of a, she says, a, a critique of capital. It's this world where debt is always passed forward to um, catastrophic consequence. I'm not going to try and outlay the whole plot of the book here, which is something she does a bit in in the in the essay, but it's quite a yeah, it's a little bit complicated. And I'm trying to keep these these uh, episodes shorter than the usual ones, so I'm not going to re- repeat all that. But um, but the point is, there is a kind of involuntary jubilee that we're talking about, like a debt forgiveness that happens in the plot of the book, and it kind of shows us. Um, the way that it transforms existing power relations it's a devastating event for those who have vast holdings in a debt-based currency which is what exists in in the book but at the same time the the freedom from debt opens up possibilities for where resources and energy can go and that's that's as much a positive change as the disruption that that happens and it's uh, an example of a change that um shifts the social order in a way that sidelines those with, with money and property so um yeah just to, to to kind of conclude here what she's saying is that science fiction can make visible the the kind of social engineering done by the capitalist technology of of money so in that in the example that she gives of of neptune's brood and again she goes into more detail in in the essay but she talks about how the book shows how money, how the, the system of money, the system of exchange defines the social system and how shifts in that um, create like new, yeah, completely uh, undermine it and create new, new, a new whole new social system. So that's what science fiction can do. It can show us um, again, uh, how the technology of money is, can be used as a form of social engineering. And the point again is that money as a social technology um it's a tool and that tool can be oriented towards other kinds of ideas and practices and it can create other kinds of social orders and other kinds of subjectivities um this is something actually i I think it's something i hadn't really thought about before because i think often if we're thinking in terms of like anti-cap if we're thinking of in terms of post-capitalism and creating a society where um things are not based on a system of commodity exchange in terms of you know everything our healthcare education our uh housing and so on and so forth we necessarily i think often think of money as inherently negative but something that um peter Frey's kind of um brought into clarity for me uh he's the second guest on this podcast was 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 exactly this like talking about how money is a technology that can be used in different ways so the examples um i think one of the examples of he, he gave of how it could be used in a different way um so he, i think he was giving an example in his book of like um parking there was some parking system in a city that charged like the clo- the the more the busier it was in the like in a city, the prices of the parking would like go up as it got busier or like something like that. But effectively, the more money you had, it just meant you could park wherever you wanted. And if you were poor, you just got pushed further and further away um, out of the city. And of course, the problem is there is the um, the fact that you're starting from an unequal position where some people have more money than others. Um, he was he gave an example of so if we imagine the existence of um 
a of a society that is post-capitalist in in most respects um if we are all um equals uh, if we all have like equal resource in terms of money then it becomes something different and this becomes relevant if we have to live uh, and this is possible and um, because of climate change we are in some condition of scarcity um let's say all our basic needs are provided for um so again like our housing even say basic the food we need um so on and so forth that some things um are scarce but let's say we all have an equal amount of money that money then becomes a way of regulating um scarcity so for example i don't know let's just say um a steak like you want a steak or whatever and that's very scarce in the future it could be anything else it doesn't matter it's a scarce resource you can spend money on that then you'll have less money to to spend on other things it's only a problem if some people have a lot more money than others and they can afford to eat steaks whenever they want but some people can basically never afford to eat steaks because they don't have the money everyone has the same amount of money then it becomes a way of kind of um allowing people to choose uh but kind of limiting limiting like what things they they can consume which again may be necessary in some kind of scarce future so perhaps that's not naive in some ways about money and perhaps there'll be other ways that it would throw up complications but i think it's an interesting thing to think about at least like how we can you how in a different context like it can become a useful technology in the context we're in with with kind of this gross inequalities it's obviously not useful in almost any way of like managing anything it's uh devastating in terms of and uh, the climate it's devastating in terms of um pe- the, the the lives of, of individual people it, it doesn't work about and spreading uh resources in any kind of reasonable or, or fair way but in a different context perhaps it could in any case to get back to the essay i think of course money is something useful to think about and i think um it's kind of a difficult subject because as, as she says in the um in the essay once you really start thinking about money it becomes very hard to define it and there's all kinds of um complicated interrelationships between the different aspects of money and how it manifests so yeah it's a difficult thing to understand but the idea of science fiction being able to um in particular do this thing that um graber talks about i think of well, first of all, allowing us to to um, to estrange us from it, to denaturalize the idea of money and how it works now, to make us see it as a social technology, and then link it to a kind of democratic power in a way that makes us realize that we can shift the arrangements of it. And cancelling debt is, of course, a utopian idea. I think it's... Um, I think it's a, a worthwhile goal, worthwhile um, thing for us to strive for, and I think it's, um, I think it's definitely a, when you. This is the thing. As soon as you realise the kind of um, the fact that money is in, in is at least in some sense fictional and a, and a construction and a, a human system and not a thing and something that can be changed, then the idea of eliminating debt becomes a lot more feasible um when we're thinking of it as a thing that exists like as a physical property in the real world that has to be 
accounted and matched up, um, then it, it's hard to imagine doing that. Once we break that down, then it's something we can do. And and the argument that Vince is making is that through this process process of estrangement, science fiction has the ability to help us start doing that. So yeah, that was this essay on money. Um, one that I enjoyed and made some good arguments, even if some bits of it were a bit confusing for me. Um, the next chapter we'll be looking at is by Brian Willems, and it's called Automating Economic Revolution, Robert Heinlein's The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. So again, this will be returning to uh, the Patreon feed. I'll keep alternate, alternating between the two feeds. So if you want to hear more, um, the ones I've already, already done and the ones upcoming, then head to patreon.com slash utopian horizons and you can get access to all those there. Um, if you've got, as always, if you've got any any comments or, or um, questions or anything like that, you can get, you can follow me on Twitter at utopian horizons. You can email me on utopian horizons pod at gmail.com. Um, always nice to hear from people and um, iTunes reviews would be great if you uh, could take a moment to do that they're always very helpful as i said near the beginning i think um all being well i will be recording two or possibly three episodes in march uh one of them will be right at the end of march so it won't release in march but anyway so yeah there should be these and these will be normal um interview episodes so um yeah they're coming soon and uh if you're a patreon subscriber i'm gonna try and do the the next essay that I just mentioned um, as soon as I can on the Patreon feed so that'll be coming soon for you oh and I forgot to say as well if you haven't already checked it out then um, please consider giving the the new podcast that I've been doing with um, Rosie from Diane and Shadow Trap a go it's called Get Object all one word and it's about things in video games and uh, yeah we've been having a lot of fun doing that and I think uh I think the episodes we've done have been have been good and it'd be really cool if you could give it a listen. We've done episodes on um, keys, maps, gore, computers and clothes um, most recently. So yeah, just search, search for Get Object uh, wherever you listen to podcasts and, and you can find that um, there. So yeah, f- um, thanks again and I'll be back with a, a normal interview episode soon. So see you then. Bye-bye. <laughs>